Senator Lankford's political career, at least within the Republican Party, is as dead as the border deal he negotiated. But as disappointed as I am in Lankford, could he possibly be the unfortunate fall man and sacrificial lamb of one cocaine Mitch? The show starts now. The so-called border deal, supposedly negotiated by Oklahoma Senator Lankford, is dead, at least in its current and craptastic form. And so, too, is the political career of Senator Lankford. I don't know if he thought a plan codifying illegal immigration, providing taxpayer-funded lawyers to illegals, giving Mayorkas the power to essentially grant amnesty and providing a loophole for Biden to essentially negate every so-called enforcement mechanism in the damn thing was going to go over well. But uh, he found out the hard way on Monday that it did not. Apparently, Langford was asleep during the whole Gang of Eight catastrophe that forever debilitated the presidential ambitions of one Marco Rubio. But I guess Langford's learning style is the hard way. The internet is ablaze with not only rightful anger at Langford, but also some pretty spot-on memes about the whole debacle. This one being my personal favorite. I mean, it's pretty obvious Mitch McConnell threw poor James into the fire. He pulled the pin on the grenade and took off, leaving James Langford with the treasonous debris all over his hands and his political future. But what now? What about our border? Joining me now is Arizona Sheriff and Senate candidate Mark Lamb. Sheriff Lamb, it's so great to have you. I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on what we hope is going to be the death of this so-called border deal in the Senate. But your initial take on Monday when you saw the text that we've been awaiting to see what Republicans have been hard at work doing to throw us under the bus. Well, Tommy, thanks for having me on. I don't think a lot of us had a lot of high hopes in the first place. And not to mention, I mean, we're all open to a good bill, but I don't think we had a lot of high hopes. And uh, I think the bill did not disappoint. It was a garbage bill. It wasn't a border bill, first and foremost. This bill was more of a global aid bill giving $60 billion to Ukraine. Um, there was more, there was $2.3 billion going to NGOs here and within our country, the same NGOs that have aided, been aiding and abetting in the human trafficking. And then there was $9 billion going through the State Department to other humanitarian is, um, needs out across the globe. Uh, those people have also been contributing to this human trafficking uh, debacle that we're seeing here in this country. So look, on many levels, this was bad. The border part was bad. And uh, we can talk about how they've shifted the Overton window, but how 5,000 people became acceptable, you can only explain by them shifting the Overton window on us as the American people. Well, and I love that 5,000 thing, because not only does that really legitimize at least 1.8 million people, but saying, okay, if we get 5,000 average, then Biden can shut down the border. Um, anybody trust Biden to shut down the border? It says, you know, obviously he doesn't have to shut it down if that's triggered. If it's not in the national interest, I think we all know that he's not going to find it within the national interest to shut the border. And then it also had a lot of loopholes about, oh, then they just go to the port of entry if they want to claim their BS asylum claims. I mean, really, every enforcement mechanism that was mentioned, there is a loophole to negate it. So it really does nothing except for legitimize illegal immigration in many ways. And I think that the people that look into it can understand that. But 
But you're right about them shifting the narrative here. This is what I'm really worried about because we knew this was going to be the approach. They put some crap thing out there and then Democrats can say, oh, Republicans don't want to enforce the border. And that to me is going to be the most frustrating part. I don't know how we win the hearts and minds of the American public to understand that we weren't really given a border bill. But I'm wondering your thought on the way they're shifting that narrative and if there's any way Republicans, true Republicans, can do a better job of combating it. Well, first of all, Republicans were willing to bail this administration out because Joe Biden's executive orders are what undid Trump's policies. And he could have easily have gone right back to it without passing a bill that was going to cost the American people $118 billion of money that we don't have, when only $20 billion was actually going to go towards the border. And so, I, look, I think that they were, they, they, they need not bail these guys out. If you truly want to run a border bill, run a standalone bill. The reason they won't do that is because the Democrats would then be forced to come out of the woods and show that they do not want border security because they would never vote for a standalone border bill. But Joe Biden has the ability and the authority to change this, and he could do it today if he truly had the resolution. He doesn't need another bill or $118 billion to do it. Yeah, I mean, really, we'd be saving a lot of money if we would just close the border and deport 10 million people. That would be a huge savings compared to what we're currently paying for and what cities around the country are currently paying for to sustain the lifestyles and the perks and the privileges that are now afforded to people who have no legal right to be here. But I worry because I think earlier in even earlier in the week and, of course, last week and in the last several weeks, I think you started to see some liberals, especially after the video of the legals attacking NYPD officers, flipping the double birds to the camera. I think public sentiment was starting to change and people really were putting this on Joe and Democrats for causing this mayhem. But now I worry that because they have this low information talking point, I'm really worried that the public really is going to pin this on Republicans now, and I don't know how we work our way out of that. Well, Republicans need to have the courage to let it be pinned on them. They need to be more vocal about what's going on. And we can't help the narrative when it's Republicans who helped craft this bill. That doesn't help us. But we need to get that narrative out. And I'm, look, I I, I got into it a little bit yesterday with my good friend who's part of the uh, Border Patrol because they were supporting it. And I said, look, you cannot partition out just the border piece, even though I think that is seriously flawed, you still have to take into consideration the fact that they're willing to give more money to people that are in Ukraine and all throughout the world than to actually deal with the issues we're dealing with here in America. And I talked to you about the Overton window. If people don't know what that is, it's a set of ideas, things that we come up with to say, here's where we expect government to work with them. These are the acceptable practices. And what they've done is shift that. Now, 5,000, if I would have asked you a year ago, we were only getting about 3,000 a week. Now we're getting 14,000 a week. And because that Overton window shifted, now all of a sudden 5,000 a week or a day is okay. I don't look, this is the problem. It's like gas when you shift the price from 174 to $6 and then you come back to $3 and mm -hmm. we're all happy. Well, you shifted the Overton window on us. That's what government is doing. They have the ability to fix it without running a bill. And if you are gonna run a bill, run a standalone bill. And, and Republicans need to take the heat and, and come, whatever comes with it and stand on that. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, you're right. Who needs Democrats when you have so many Republicans who are traitors to this country, to this party, and to this cause? 
But I'm glad you brought up the Border Patrol and the Border Patrol Union because I was also shocked to see Brandon Judd and others come out and say, no, we support this border bill. We can't sustain what we're sustaining now. We've got to get help. This this uh, alleviates some of the pain at the border. And and whereas it does, as you mentioned, because 5,000 is better than 14,000, I'm still rather surprised to see the Border Patrol and, and others representing Border Patrol interests. I'm really surprised to see them come out in support of this. And I'm wondering if there was maybe different pressure at play, or maybe if you could give us a little insight into why you think that is, because I was personally stunned to see how quickly they jumped on it and were in support of it. We were all a little stunned, but you know what? If you're thirsty enough, even salt water starts to look good. doesn't mean it's good for you. And really, you know, the Border Patrol is looking at the border situation, but unfortunately, this was more than just a, a bill dealing with the border. It had a, a lot of other uh, global aid involved with it. And, you know, uh, Brandon and I got into a, a little bit of a heated conversation on one of the other news stations over this. My job is to look out for the American people. And, and, and we cannot let ourselves be beguiled by this administration that the only way they can fix this is with a new bill. They can fix it simply with Joe Biden reversing the policies that he reversed when he came into office. And, um, you know, I think they're feeling the heat. And, and I've spoken to a lot of Border Patrol agents who don't share the same sentiments as what the union did. Yeah, no, I'm sure that there's a lot on the ground. Um, I think that's where the tricky part of this comes in, because as much as I'd like to have some optimism here, we know Joe is not going to reverse anything. So it does feel like we're pushed into a corner now because they control everything. They, meaning the leftists, the globalists, the Democrats, control everything. And they're steadily working on um, importing even more illegal immigrants and votes into this country. So that's my concern. And I'm wondering, too, you know, I'm really hopeful that Donald Trump is going to be reelected in November. I'm really hopeful that he can do something to do what he did before. And I believe in some ways he can, but I'm looking forward here and I'm trying to be realistic. And I know even if Donald Trump is reelected, I'm really concerned that Democrats and Republicans are going to stand in his way because I saw the first two years of his presidency, Republicans had the ability to do something and they chose not to. And that was then this is now when there are even more that are open Trump haters, even on the Republican Party. So looking forward, looking ahead, let's just imagine we've got a Donald Trump back in office starting, you know, January of next year. How confident are you that this is ever going to get fixed? Well, I'm the most confident with President Trump in office. I'm not confident with this administration. I, I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But I hope that the people will see it and we can get Donald Trump back in there. I, I agree with you, Tommy. I think that we've got a lot of Republicans that have shown a very distaste and they're willing to submarine the entire country for their for the, for for their hate or dislike for one person. This is why I'm running for the U.S. Senate, because I think we need people that are going to stand with somebody who wants to fix these issues. I know that President Trump understands the border. We dealt with it for four years. It was the best we had ever seen. I look forward to getting back and being able to help him in the Senate and uh, kind of take out, carry these some of these issues forward where they failed, uh, like you said, four or five, six years ago when we had the House and the Senate and the presidency for two years. And we failed to, to, to codify a lot of these things into good laws. Yeah. And started the border wall. But unfortunately, a lot of that wall still lays there. 
And a wall really does no good if you're just allowing people to come in, you know, through the gate. So last thing I want to ask you, though, being that you are obviously in law enforcement, I saw uh, a tweet earlier this week from Allie Bradley of News Nation. She's been on this show saying that sheriffs around the country are reaching out, saying that they've been wanting a meeting with Biden for years now, and they haven't gotten it. They haven't had this administration spend any time with sheriff, uh, sheriffs, especially in border cities and in border states. What can you give us as far as insight into that and what you've heard from sheriffs and other law enforcement in border cities and states about the cooperation or lack thereof from this administration? Yeah, I was with in, with Ali in those same meetings where we recognize some of the media partners that have done a good job of telling the story on the border. But I can tell you sheriffs from across this country are furious and fed up with this administration. And it is absolutely true. Joe Biden hasn't met with a single sheriff that at least not, and certainly not with the national sheriffs or the major county sheriffs, he has not taken the time to meet with us. And to put that into perspective, just so you know how it was under the previous administration, as a sheriff, I went to the White House 10 times, at least six of those times was to meet with President Trump and have him hear us and his cabinet listen to our concerns and try to find a solution to the issues, which is why he was successful in reducing the amount of apprehensions down to 400 in his last year of his term. So it is beneficial to meet with sheriffs. We know our communities. We understand what it takes to, to solve the crime issues and all these other things, the border issues. And to me, it's just it shows just his, his uh, indifference to the American people and the rule of law with his failure to meet with sheriffs and understand what's going on. Well, maybe if y'all put uh, an ice cream stand at the border, <laughs> maybe then you can lure um, Cadaver Joe to meet with you. But uh, again, I'm not going to hold my breath, and he shouldn't hold his breath either, just for health reasons. Sheriff, thank you so much for everything that you've done. Best of luck to you in your Senate race and always fighting for the American people, fighting for your state. Always appreciate your insight, and thanks for being with us. Thank you, Tommy. Appreciate you too. Thanks. Folks, the left likes to make up a bunch of fake wars to gaslight the rest of us. The war on women, the war on gay, trans, blah, 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 you name it. But when it comes to the war on children, well, they own that one. My next guest set out to expose it with his documentary, The War on Children. And by how much the left wants this thing censored and shadow banned, well, I'd say he did a pretty good job. Are they intentionally sexualizing our children and stealing their innocence? I think that's right. TikTok specifically is designed to target young people. That's who their audience is. Have children died because of social media? Absolutely. Have they been trafficked off of social media? 100%. Have they been sexually exploited off of social media? Ongoing, yes. I'm scrolling on TikTok. I see little kids with TikTok. What are they looking at? This is what you don't want kids to see, is that correct? Exactly. And again, this is depicting children. This is this is supposed to be kids. And of course, Robbie Starbuck uh, joins us now, the, the mastermind along with your wife to the war on children, a much needed documentary, a film that the American people need to see. I want to go into some of the themes. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, the war on children. But this is deeper and it has many, many levels to it. So when you started making this, where did you start and what do you want parents to know? Well, I started with the fact that there's no comprehensive way for a parent to understand all of this in one place and be able to sit down and go, okay, I understand how this all cohesively touches together because 
your average American, they see a, a negative story one day, and then maybe a week later they see another negative story. So they get these things piecemeal. And when you get it like that, it's very difficult to see it as a cohesive battle plan that is going on that is an actual war on children. So we put it all together from the pharmaceutical companies to the education indoctrination centers to the way the government and NGOs and these, these left-wing nonprofits that are really activist organizations, how they all work together and how cor corporations have essentially been taken over in many respects by these same ideologies and how when you put it together, there is a cohesive plan here and it's to undermine basically America as we know it and change it into something that more so resembles a modern version of communism where the state replaces the parent. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the, the pieces of feedback I've gotten back from a lot of people is that they were like, this is the single thing I could show the person in my life who does not believe this is going on and it would be irrefutable for them. They'd walk away from it going, oh my gosh, there is actually something going on here. And so I think that's one of the great utilities, which is why we made it giftable for people. Like you can just mm -hmm. gift it, send it to the email of whoever, you know, that you want to wake up on these issues and then not just scare people, but like give them an right. action item, you know, of what they can do. Well, there's so many levels and layers to what you did talking about, as you said, pharmaceutical companies, you know, big corporations, but also the child and sex trafficking, the sexualization and, and rainbow mafia touch on our children. I mean, there's so many levels here. And then also the social media addiction, the TikTok, young people having phones at such an early age, you know, no matter what they're looking at when they're glued to their phones and this obsession and this addiction, whether it starts off as something that is threatening or dangerous, it can certainly become that pretty easily. So I'm wondering if you were to tell parents the one thing that they could do that would be the most strategic to protect their children, what would that one thing be? It would actually be to go to freedomforever.us, sign up your email there. We email you a parenting revolution manual and it has everything you need to do to protect your kid online so that they're not sexually exploited. What a lot of parents don't understand is like your average kid now sees porn by the time they're 11. Right. And in almost all cases, like we're talking vast majority, they're not going looking for it. They're on social media, they're on websites that maybe they shouldn't be on. And a lot of times parents don't even realize that these websites are dangerous or these apps are dangerous. And so it's kind of like a, a learning curve for parents where we're teaching them, hey, here's the tools you actually have to keep your kids safe so that you can, you know, not shelter them so that they're not aware of the world right. around them, but that you protect them from all of this evil stuff. And so I think if I could tell people do one thing, do that. Even if you're not going to watch the film, go get that manual. It's free and it gives you those tools. It's really hard to be a parent, I'm sure, in, in 2024 with everything and the world having access to children. Children have access to the world, but it also works the other way. I want to talk about something else that's been important, especially in Tennessee, and that's trying to keep away the sexualization of children as it pertains to drag shows and these over, overly sexualized performances that are being done in front of children, sometimes with parents cheering it on. It's really unfortunate. But I know as a part of this film, this documentary, you kind of had some confrontation in trying to bring this to light. I want to play a clip and then get your story behind it in a moment. You're, you're deflecting the conversation, though, and not answering the question. So you cannot denounce behavior that is sexually explicit around children. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I am declining to comment. And even for children? Oh, it's for the kids. I get it. We have laws protecting children. Have you seen any uh, sexually explicit drag shows marketed as all ages for kids that you would denounce or think that are a problem and that you want to distance yourself from? No. You know this is wrong. So that photograph could very easily have been taken at the 50-yard line of the Titans game. I would have the same problem. They don't wear G-strings. Well, they, but they do. 
They do. They, they wear G-strings and spread their legs in children's faces? Well, they maybe not wear G-strings, but I don't know if, that was a, if that's a G-string. It is. The sound bite of that photograph shows a glimpse of a moment in probably a moving picture. I'm sure that that person wasn't spread eagle there for any I'll pull, Do you want me to pull it up and show you? I think it's really interesting, first of all, that you got a drag queen to sit down with you and have a discussion. I've tried to do that in the past, too, because I really want to understand. And I don't think that all people that do drag want to sexualize children, but that confrontation there, I mean, at least that particular drag queen was unwilling to denounce what was going on. And I'm wondering, after sitting down and talking with somebody that's in this profession that obviously is behind it 100%, did you learn anything that maybe you didn't know about this industry and the mindset of the people in it? Yeah, so I kind of had a similar mindset to you where I thought, okay, there's got to be some people in this that think this is wrong. And we actually reached out to a number of them who don't do these shows. So to be clear, this person mm -hmm. has not done one of these disgusting shows to our knowledge, which is why we thought maybe they're willing to say, hey, yeah, there should be a line here, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, I do drag, I, I've done this for adults my whole life, you know, but this is too far, bridge too far. We thought maybe that's what would happen. So we wanted to just have that conversation, get the insight of somebody who's been doing it for you know decades, that person has. And the response we got back is really telling that it's such an ideological cult that you can tell he right. knows it's wrong. Yeah, He knows it's wrong. And he's unwilling to say it because he knows if he says it and admits that it's wrong, that he's gonna be cast out within his community. That's what I got out of it. Yeah. And so that tells you this is not repairable. They're not gonna turn around on their own as a community and say, okay, we've gotta draw a line here. And it's why legislation like we pushed in Tennessee and mm -hmm. got passed is important. And now we're fighting in the courts to allow it to be enforced so that you can't do these shows in front of kids. But it's also the reason we juxtaposed all this stuff the way we did, like news clips where you see MSNBC, CNN, NBC, all these places saying, mm -hmm. nobody's done a surgery on a minor. And then we cut hard cut to like a 13 year old yeah. who had a double mastectomy. We did all this stuff to show people, this is what you're being fed in the media, this is reality. And we did the same thing with the drag thing, is like, here's the actual yeah. shows with children, you can see their faces, these are kids. And then here's the media and these people telling you it's not happening. And then they turn around and defend it, like this person. Hard to refute hard facts. And I know that in the past, you've told me that you were willing to do interviews with other news networks that maybe wouldn't be friendly to your cause, but you had a stipulation that they had to actually show the images that you were discussing. and. To my knowledge, they've been unwilling to do that. Not one has taken me up on it. And can you name a film that has gotten, I think in the last 48 hours, we have 30 million views on the trailer after Elon wow. Musk posted it. And not one left-wing media outlet has covered the documentary. Right. I don't know of any film that gets that many views in, in that short of a time range where the mainstream media isn't at least curious about it. And the reason they're not curious about it is because they have watched it. And at this point, they're like, okay, there's nothing assailable here. If we go mm -hmm. after this, some people might go look at it and they might change their mind. And that's right. the real power of this film. And so, you know, we hope one day in the future it will be free to everybody so that that 30 million some odd people can just everybody watch. But for now, you know, we're, we're renting it and then people can gift it mm -hmm. and things like that. But later on, that's our hope is to make it free for people so that everybody can see it.
yeah, these other networks do not want to give a platform to the work you've done. And they're also actively working to censor it. I mean, that's that's nothing new. We've all dealt with the censorship. But you have, you have some proof that they really don't want this out there. And what, uh, I guess, what justification do they give you to why they're censoring it or they're not allowing you to advertise it the way other documentaries or other films would be able to be advertised. Tell my audience about that and what you guys have dealt with. Yeah, so TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, they have all denied ads for the film, um, which is unusual, again, when you're like saying, hey, company, I'm willing to give you money to advertise our film. They say no, and all for different reasons. YouTube says it's for election reasons, which we don't talk about elections at all in the entire documentary, and election never comes up. So we have asked them what they mean, and they won't answer that question. Apparently, maybe it's bad for the left in an election, but that's not what we're saying inside of the documentaries. It doesn't even make any sense. It's nonsensical. TikToks was the most interesting, though. They denied it because they said that it could cause physical harm to people, which the argument they're making, if people don't understand, is that this could cause people to commit suicide. And, you know, that's just a ludicrous, a ludicrous jump. Like, this trailer for a film could cause somebody to commit suicide. But that's the reason they're denying it. And they openly allow content on their platform that's really dark. I, I spoke with a mom last week that's joining a class action against TikTok for that reason, because her daughter started down the path of self-harm because of TikTok videos. So, again, the double standard exists. Facebook, Instagram, what's been the response? Facebook wouldn't give us a reason. So Meta, as in total, would not give us a reason. They just denied it. And so right. we asked for a reason. We haven't gotten one yet. That's the frustrating part, is even when they pull content down, a lot of times they'll give maybe a vague justification, but then when you try to appeal it, there's really nobody to talk to. Um, Elon Musk, though, as you mentioned, shared it. He's obviously been a, a real ally in truth. So to you, what is X slash Twitter? What does that mean for people like you that are doing kind of these independent films, trying to get the word out and Elon Musk support? It's the future. I mean, the most, you could argue, influential man in the world, you know, became a subscriber to watch this film. He discovered it himself on the platform. That's the beauty of the platform and wants to do everything he can to make sure that people can see it, you know, because it's that important. And it's something that like, I think he understands can wake up those people that still don't understand the totality of what we're facing and the larger end picture of this for the end run of the United States and frankly for humanity. Because if the United States of America falls into this sort of Marxist communist ideology, the world as a whole is done for decades and decades and decades. We're, we're not going to go and be a type one civilization that goes out and is able to inhabit the stars or anything even remotely close to that. We're much closer to a track of a world war where everything's so destructive and terrible that population collapse ensues and all kinds of other human disasters. So I think he gets that and sees the intrinsic value of if we want to get to that future that we desire for our children, mm -hmm. we need to do the hard things now and make the sacrifices now. And so I appreciate that about him and about the platform. Without the platform, this documentary wouldn't be seen by people. We couldn't have made it because we would have been banned off all other platforms. And at this point, at least we know if we are banned off those platforms, we're not going anywhere on X. You can direct people there. Yeah. So for those that want to find it, that are not super familiar with how to access thing on X, maybe they don't have X, where can my audience go to make sure that they're watching this, as you said, gifting it to others to make sure that this content is available? Easiest way is thewaronchildren.com. So if you go to thewaronchildren.com, you can get it to watch it on your TV, you can subscribe on X through that website, or you can gift it to somebody that you want to wake up in your life. And the trailer's there. Um, but again, if they want just that manual, they, they don't have the money to rent the movie right now, go to freedomforever.us. It's a free manual, and that has those tools to protect your kids if you sign up for the email list.
You guys are doing great work, you and, and Landon, doing great things through obviously the organization and through your filmmaking, using your skills to wake people up. So we always appreciate you, Robbie, for being here. We're so happy that you're in Nashville and we'll keep fighting the fight in Tennessee as well. Maybe that's the first home front that we need to get some enforcement and then Absolutely. we'll move on from there. Thank you again and we encourage everyone, go to thewaronchildren.com. Make sure you guys are accessing this, sharing it, gifting it. It's really important that parents are watching it. Thank you as always, Robbie, for being here. Thank you for covering this. Always. So I want to use my final thoughts tonight to pay my respects to country singer, legend, and a true patriot, Toby Keith. Country music legend Toby Keith passed away this week at the age of 62 after a grueling and hard-fought battle with stomach cancer. Toby Keith and his music will always hold a special place in my heart. Not only was he my first concert, he's one of the greatest country singers of all time. His song, Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, written and released after the 9-11 terror attacks, will forever be the anthem of the pissed-off American. Many people probably don't know this about Toby, but he got his big break in country music in his mid-30s. And prior to that, he worked as a derrick hand in the oil fields of Oklahoma. He was one of us, a hard-working American from humble roots with big dreams and a lot of grit. Toby loved country music his fans, and this great country, and we could use more artists like him in country music and music in general. So rest in peace, legend. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.